Hey, um, is anybody enjoying summer? It feels like this summer hasn't been that summery. And so I'm playing catch up. So I don't know if you guys feel like, like where did summer go? And then when, when we did have the times it was supposed to feel very summery, it wasn't summery. I don't know what's going on. But right now, I'm like, my kids have to go back to school. So it's like, all right, we're going to like summer everything right now. We're going to the pool. Like, and so I don't know if you're like me, but like take as much advantage of summer as you can. Because um, though we may complain about how hot it is, it gets so cold. And then in a little bit, we'll be like, oh, it's so cold. I can't wait for summer. Isn't that just fall of man, right? It's like we're always complaining. Um, I am very humbled, honored, and blessed to be able to deliver this message today because it's a, it's a very heavy message, but it's also an inspiring message. And I think it's very important for the church to hear this, but also for the families here. And everybody here is a part of a family somewhere. So if you are a leader of your family, um, if you are a new family, a young family, an older family, whatever, wherever you are, I pray you receive this message in the best way so that we can restore not just our households, but also our nation and our world back to what God has originally called us. Does anybody want to see that? Like, let God be the king, and kings, the king of kings and lord of lords of our families. So the sermon title is Clean House. And raise your hand if you're cleaning right now. Are you in a cleaning season? Yeah. Raise your, raise your hand if, and, and this is probably for the spouses, raise your hand if that person that just raised their hand is always cleaning. <laughs> there we go. Okay, okay. If my mom was here, like, okay, yeah, it's cleaning season, like, because it's Sunday. <laughs> Tomorrow is Monday. It's always it's cleaning. So every day you're doing it. Um, so when you think about why we clean, now, there's some people who raise their hand, and if I ask them why they clean, they can't tell us why because it's just ingrained in their brain, and they can't not clean, right? So that, we're not asking those folks, even though we value you so much. But for us other folks who clean, like me, I clean when I recognize that things are dirty. There's a difference. There's some people who clean because they just clean. And we love you. We really appreciate you. You're the people who go like this. And it's just constant cleaning. And we appreciate that. And, and you bring a lot of, um, you know, something to the house. And it keeps us on our toes. And we never know when you're going to come out next and clean something. But then there's people like me who wait till, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, <laughs> this is bad, till I can smell something that I didn't need to clean. <laughs> or that I tripped on something and I surely need to clean something. Or that my children start complaining about something. And I'm like, okay, maybe this really needs to be. Or that my wife says, hey, you need to clean that thing, whatever it is. Raise your hand if you're like that. Oh, whatever. There's more of us out there. There's, we're the majority, okay? We do it in silence. Um, so why do we do that? Because we recognize that something's not right. For some of us like me, it takes us a little longer to recognize that something's not right. But... Nonetheless, both parties, whether the more advanced cleaners or <laughs> the more um, ridiculous cleaners like myself, the, the, the people who procrastinate, we all recognize one thing. We have one thing in common, that something needs to be fixed. Something needs to be cleaned. Something's just not right. 
Doesn't it feel like that in the church? Like in the world, in the church, like we're missing out on something. Anybody feel that way? It's like, and I'm not saying this church, I'm just saying the church at large, we're, we're, there's something that we're not doing or there's something that, we, that has gotten into our house that we need to clean up. Anybody feel that way every now and then? Okay, maybe it's your community. Maybe it's the city that you're in. Like the city used to be this way, now it's that way. I don't know what it is, but something needs to be clean. Anybody feel that way? Maybe it's our nation. <laughs> it's like we were one way, now we're another way. Something needs to be clean. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And specifically in the house, somehow leaders of homes have desired for the world to father and mother and lead their, their families more than themselves. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like there are people who stand outside and picket government buildings, school buildings, all that stuff. And I'm not knocking you. But they don't, the new term now is keep that same energy. That same energy isn't in their house when it's time for them to do their responsibility. Hey, they're putting this in schools or they're teaching this in schools. Well, are you, what are you teaching at your house? Hey, I didn't want to talk about all that. I want to talk about what they're putting in the schools. Oh, okay. Hey, they don't have enough like impact. They're not putting like investing enough in our youth. How much are you investing in your children? Hey, we don't want to talk about that. I'm busy. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Or like, hey, how come, how come, I, I, you name it, things keep going. Or, or maybe the, it's sp sports, right? Like the coach won't like really like take more time with my kid. Hey, have you taken more time? Hey, I, that's what I pay the coach for. Like we always have this sense of like we need everybody else to do the work and not us. And it also happens in the church. Why won't the pastor look my way? Why, why didn't this person bring in, you know, whatever for my family or my child? And there's this constant desire for everyone else to do the work. When we look at our house, most of the time it's like me in my house. Hmm. I think we need to clean a little bit. And, and that's what I want to focus on today. So we're going to use this story and we're going to have a whole lot of fun. Then we're going to get really serious. Then we're going to laugh. Then we're just going to go through all the ways that I normally preach when I'm here anyway. So Joshua chapter 7. We're going to talk about Joshua, one of my favorite people in the Bible. The reason why he's one of my favorite is because he wasn't the first, he was the second. Joshua came after Moses. And I'm big on secession. I'm big on the second uh, level, the next level, um, the, the next generation, because it's one thing to be good at something. It's another thing to train someone else to be good at it as well. I was told by somebody years ago that you aren't a disciple maker until you make disciples who make disciples. Because it's like you can do something, but then, you're, or think about some of these great CEOs, great businesses, or great sports teams. They have this awesome leader. And then as soon as that person leaves, everything falls down. Like it's crazy. Any, anywhere LeBron leaves, it's over, right? We know that. Um, anywhere Tom Brady, did you see what, the, what happened to the Patriots when Tom Brady left? Like, man, I don't want to build everything around one person, but eh. Like, there's no secession plan there. We got to figure that out. So I love Joshua because he took the reins from Moses and he continued to move the people forward and beyond where Moses could even take the Israelites. Isn't that awesome to see someone take it to the next level? Shouldn't that be the prayer for our families? If I have come from humble beginnings and made some major changes in my life and, 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 and done all the things that I need to do with my gifts, my talent, my, my calling, and then my child does it and they go beyond me, that's the goal, right? How about us? Many of us, I mean, come on. How many of us feel like our parents were perfect and they did it all right? No, but it's up to us to take what they gave us because God gave 
them to us and us to them for a reason and to go next level. Now, if you're a young person in here, do not look at your parents and say, see, he told me, he told the whole church, you're messed up. I got to save this thing. Don't take it that way. <laughs> but Joshua, though he was the son of Nun, which Nun was a phenomenal man as well, he was a successor of Moses. And God said this, it's one thing for a great leader like Moses, like we esteem Moses as a high-level leader. God told him secrets. God's like, hey, meet me at the top of the mountain. Has, there, has God ever said to you, hey, meet me at 7 o'clock? <laughs> no. You're like wiping the crust out of your eyes like, God, are you there? And God's like, Moses, are you there? That's a different level. Not saying we can't experience that, but it's pretty special, right? But then God says to, to Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's God's words to Joshua. He's special. He's very special. So anytime we get to learn about Joshua, I'm always inspired, always excited. And I want to jump right into, uh, into a passage that will set the tone for today. And then we'll get into the rest of, of, of the message. So we're going to go to chapter 7, Joshua chapter 7, verse 11 through 13. I'll give you a moment to flip there or type there, and then we will get going. And just so you know, this is a really, really awesome time in the Bible because the walls of Jericho have just gone down. Remember that? Like, remember the story? Remember the VeggieTales? I like, grew up on that VeggieTales episode. It was the best one. If VeggieTales, if like Netflix and all that was out at that point, VeggieTales top, it would have been like top, top, top on the front of the screen. Top of the screen. Okay, so God says, go, consecrate the people. Everybody say consecrate. One, two, three, consecrate. Good. Tell them. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There are devoted things among you, Israel, God's people, that you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. In the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. The tribe of uh, the Lord chooses shall come forward clan by clan. The clan the Lord chooses shall come forward family by family. And the family the Lord chooses shall come forward man by man. Now, contrary to popular belief, Men are responsible for their family. I don't care what anybody teaches outside of these walls. I don't care what the world is saying. At the end of the day, men are responsible for their family. Can a woman be responsible? Absolutely. My mom's very responsible. So responsible that she disciplined me enough to remind me of that. I understand the, the, the dynamics of man and, and woman, but I also know that God is a God of order, and God put man in place to lead. Men, are you leaders today? Yes. <laughs> I was waiting for like a yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a leader. I lead as much as I can. <laughs> can I make fun of you guys today? Come on, come on. If you had the mic, you'd do the same thing, I hope. All right, so God is talking to the men. He goes, clan, tribe, tribe, clan, clan, family, family, men, men. It's all about the men. The men say, the, the men are the, are the guys that God set apart to say, what's wrong? Something's off. And I need to talk to you all. And until we get to the bottom of this, we cannot move forward. He, he clearly said, you cannot stand against your enemies until you remove whatever this thing is. This is a warrior tribe. These are people of God who are also great fighters who have to overcome and overtake many different tribes and, and different uh, cities so that they can eventually uh, get to the promised land and be who God called them to be. But they can't move forward without these elements that have found themselves in the families. And, and I love that God broke it down all the way to the men. So I challenge and encourage every man in this room to check yourself and then to check your household 
and to make sure that there is nothing that's out of alignment with God, with his word, and with the principles and the values that you said you're about. I I consult a lot of companies and, and, you know, you meet guys. I always say, hey, let's start with values. I want to get to know you. Tell me about your core values. Oftentimes, they say, oh, yeah, family. And then as you get to know them, you realize that core value is not as core. It's still a value, but it's not as core as you thought, right? No condemnation, but a guy will be like, yeah, family's a big thing. And then, like, you go golfing with him, like, weeks later, and he's like, oh, man, you know, you're on the third hole. Guys get comfortable the more holes you play. And sometimes the more beers they drink, but that's a whole other conversation. But, but uh, what is that? What are we talking about, beer? Um, so, so eventually they get to the point and then they start complaining about their wives and then they start talking about their kids. And, and they're like, yeah, my wife's going to call me on the ninth hole. And then she's always like, hey, where are you? Are you going to be home by this time? And so guys start eventually getting to the point where you, they really show you how much they value or how much they don't value their family. A, l- a lot of it will be learned. And this is just a side note. You learn a lot about a man on the golf course. Just remember that. Just remember that. Keep that in the back pocket. You never know. All right. So God says, consecrate your, uh, your, your people, the family, and um, let's get to the bottom of, of why we're here. Now, let me give you some context. So God chose Joshua to lead Israel to the promised land after Moses died. And when he did that, God did a bunch of miracles and wonders. Um, uh, Uh, Joshua was able to walk through the water uh, just like Moses did and and God parted the sea. So it's like, man, this is like Moses 2.0. It's really exciting. Well, then you see them go to Jericho. And Jericho is this huge, like, fortress of a city. And they're so powerful and so strong. And they didn't lay a finger physically on anybody. All they did was, we remember, right, they marched and marched. and And then they were silent. And then they gave that loud roar. They shout. And then the whole city comes down. Isn't that great that we serve a God that we don't have to fight all the time? The battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. And, and, and also vengeance is his. I, that's my favorite one. <laughs> when people mess with me, I'm like, okay, just wait. <laughs> this isn't even between us. I can go to sleep. This is between you and him. <laughs> Take care. I don't fight battles anymore. I don't, like you might, after this service, I can walk right down here. You can punch me right in my face. I say, hey, man, good luck. <laughs> God's coming after you. I know he didn't want you to do that. Because he loves me. All right, so, <laughs> so after the walls come crumbling down, God shows them that he is with them. He will lead them. He'll guide them. And God's constantly reminding God's people in Israel, uh, the Israelites, about this. And he's constantly reminding us, too. Like, there's been so many times when you should have been in trouble, when you should have lost it all. Maybe you did lose it all, and then you got it back. Whatever it is, there's constant reminders that God is faithful. Amen. Say amen if you know he's faithful. Okay. So, so here is where things get a little weird. All right. So the first point today, we're going to talk about covenantal family. Say covenant. Okay. Only reason why I make you say stuff is to make sure you're awake. Okay. Because I used to sleep in church. Um, so Joshua chapter 4, <laughs> verse 21 through 24. All right. It says that Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants, remember we talk about children taking the mantle of their parents and continuing the, the, the generations of being blessed. Um, it says that, by the way, if you want to take a note of that, Psalm 112 is a great psalm to read over your family. The generation of the upright will be blessed. They'll be mighty in the land. Blessed is a man who, who, um, who, who seeks God. Like it's a really good psalm. I, I pray over my family uh, that psalm a lot. Um, so then it says, 
It says, the descendants uh, asked their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Crazy. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until it had crossed over. Just so we don't like, like gloss over that. Like that's a big deal. The Lord dried up an entire uh, river for people to walk through. That would be like if you were in traffic on 66 and you were trying to get to D.C., and they said, it's shut down. There's no way to get into D.C. But you had to get to D.C. because God told you you had to go. And then you went to the Potomac and you said, Lord, we got to cross. And the whole Potomac just was gone. And you just walked all the way to the White House. And then as soon as you crossed over, all the water came back. Like, that's pretty crazy, right? Okay. All right. See, because of that, now I got to ask you to say a word again. What word do you guys want to say this time? Uh, say Joshua. All right, here we go. Let's keep going. So he said, <laughs> that's why that you guys said that. Don't listen to everything people say on the mic. All right, God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples, it's important, highlight this, circle it. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. So many times... God gives us a promise. A covenant just means promise. God promises us something, and he does that promise, number one, because he loves us, and he, and he loves to promise good things to his children. But then also, when we are obedient and diligent in that promise, the world sees that we are his. So if God promises you, hey, if you are faithful to your spouse or if you are faithful to um, your job or you're faithful to whatever it is that I've entrusted you with or, or faithful to serving, you name it, then I'm going to bless you. And then he says that, and then you follow that, you stay disciplined, you do it, and then you get blessings. Blessings that you don't deserve because you're doing what you're supposed to do. Anybody ever done that with their kids? If you clean your room today, we're going to get ice cream. And then they clean their room, and then we go to get ice cream, and then while you're eating the ice cream, you're thinking, why did I do that? Why did I give them ice cream for something that they should have done in the first place? You ever been that way? Maybe you're like me where you go, if you don't clean your room, <laughs> this is going to happen to you. And then fill in the blank of whatever that might be. Or you won't get ice cream. Now, unfortunately, I rarely like stand my ground. And so like I'll say, hey, everybody clean your room. Do this, do that, do all your chores. And if you do that, then we'll get ice cream. And if you do it by 12 o'clock. It's Saturday. I'm going to give you some extra time. Do it by 12 o'clock. We're going to have a great time. Three o'clock rolls around. <laughs> Nothing's right. Matter of fact, it's more dirty. And my four girls, it's, more, it's louder. <laughs> like, I told you guys, relax, be calm. Mom and dad are downstairs chilling, reading. No, we're not reading. We're probably watching Netflix. We're doing something. <laughs> Try to be more holy when you're at church, right? <laughs> but, but then you're like, what happened? Why didn't you listen? And then I eventually go, all right, we'll still go. We'll still go to ice cream. <laughs> it's a terrible trait for me. I need to be a better leader. But the reality is that's how God is with us. He oftentimes rewards us when we are obedient. Now, there are some times when we're disobedient and he still rewards us, but that conviction sets in and then you want to clean your house, right? Now, here's what happens with covenants. Covenants always have conditions. Covenants always have conditions. There's always these great promises. You know, growing up, I always heard, the Bible's a book of promises. You ever heard them say that? That's what the pastor always said. They never said the Bible's also a book of conditions. <laughs> they don't ever preach that. Like, if you do this, then I will bless you. If you do that, then I will be with you. And so 
they learn the hard way, Israel learned the hard way, when you don't follow the conditions that are within the covenant, really, really bad things happen. So why is covenant family so important? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, because God called us all to gather together and to be one. Though we are all families individually and we drove here, you know, in different ways, different cars, we're all together as one. We are the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Community is one of our strongest suits. Did you know that? The community and connectivity, relationship, the equity that comes with relationship is one of our greatest superpowers. That is why the world and the enemy always try to tear us apart by giving us these stupid things. Uh, there's children in here. These bad things like, I already said it. It doesn't even matter at this point. Uh, they probably heard worse from you. Okay, so they always... <laughs> They always, they always try to tear us apart by, are you red? Are you blue? Who'd you vote for? Okay, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? Are you Redskins? Are you Cowboys? Are you Commanders? Are you the Washington football team? Like, he's done enough wickedness just right here in this one team. There's a whole lot of confusion there. Like, do you believe in this? Do you, okay, you go to church. What type of church is it? What do they say? What do they study? Who's there? What type of worship do they And And there's these constant just things that are ripping us apart and apart. And then that is a macro of the micro that happens in our family. Are you listening to mom? Or are you listening to dad? Sometimes we go to mom and talk about dad and go to dad and talk about dad. You know, I asked mom earlier about this, but, you know, she doesn't really understand what I was asking. So I just want to ask again, just to get more clarity. What, what, you know, can I do this? So there's, con there's this constant war, and I believe that it starts in the house, that men are under attack when it comes to being in alignment with their print, the principles of the word, the commandments of God, and the promise, the covenant that God has for all men. If you read the book of Psalms, you read tons of books uh, in, the, in the scriptures about God's covenant for when a man leads his house in the way that it should go, the way of the Lord. But all of these other things are pulling at us constantly, and it, it, it drives a wedge between the man and the household. And oftentimes either the man leaves or there's dysfunction in the house or whatever. But then that, that also spews out into the workplace, into the church, into the schools. And now we just have this crazy environment, this crazy society today where there's so much division. Are you going to wear a mask or you're not going to wear a mask? Who cares? It's none of your business. I'm going to wear whatever. You didn't ask me what type of shoes I was going to wear. If I want to wear a mask, I can wear a mask. Like that's the way it should be. Am I getting too deep? Now I got real quiet. You want to say another word? <laughs> I won't do it to you. But, but there's these, all of these divisive things that the enemy puts in because, for this one reason. He knows when we are divided, we won't thrive. When we are divided, we won't thrive. I remember um, when I was in college, we played a team that will remain nameless. And we went out on the field and they were arguing with each other in their huddle. They were better than us. I promise you they were better than us. And I won't say the name, but whenever they score, they put their hands like this. And, and they're a really good team. Like, there was a time where they were really, really good. And in 2009, we played, now I'm giving them up. We played in the Orange Bowl, their last game, their last game in the Orange Bowl before they destroyed the stadium and, and built a new stadium. And we went out there, UVA, like, we are not a football school. Like, when I see Virginia Tech people, I don't say anything. <laughs> like, I don't say, oh, well, I'm like, I'm like oh, yeah, Virginia Tech is pretty good. So uh, we go out there, and they were arguing before the game with each other. And then during the game, they just, you saw a lot of division. And so we score a touchdown. And we score another touchdown. And this is the last game in their historic stadium. 
And it, by the end of the game, it was like 31 or 32 to like seven or something like that. It was a bloodbath. And when the game was over, I remember walking out thinking, how in the world did we win this game? Like sometimes you just, you wonder like, how did I win? And we recognized that it, was, it wasn't because we were great, it's because they were divided. And, and now it's inked in history that UVA beat Miami <laughs> at the end, in their final game. I'm not good at keeping secrets, y'all. <laughs> I'm not good at lying. I'm just saying what it is. But we beat them at the end of, of that, like, very, very special stadium. All of the, the stories that you heard about the, the Miami Hurricanes happened in that stadium, and we slaughtered them at the end, be, not because we were better, but because they just were divided. So the number one reason why God is a covenant God is because he wants us to stay together because together we're better, we, we thrive, we go further. Second reason is because God's a, or, God's a God of order, and this is not in, in, in order. <laughs> What are the odds? But, but the second reason is because God's a God of order. And so he wants things to be right, that the man is faithful and he serves his wife. Paul writes really well uh, in the category of marriage and, and how to serve your wife and wife, how to serve your husband and how to relate to one another. And then children obeying their parents. This, it's all written. Like you, there's not, you don't have to make it up. Like you, can, you can follow God's, God's law, God's covenants, and you can actually succeed in life. When a man is faithful and kind and loving to his spouse, happy wife, happy life. That The world didn't make that up. God told us way back. Like, treat her right. And then, and then when a woman loves, loves a man, it's the same thing. And it's a beautiful thing. Listen, some of the best times in my life are when my wife and I are, are like unified and we are not fighting and we are happy. And that's all the time. So anyways... <laughs> but that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's supposed to be. And then the children follow suit. And then the children, because they saw that, what do they do? They replicate it when they're older. And that's the beauty of God, uh, God's uh, um, desire or God's uh, mission for family, right? So the second thing is that there's a beauty in the order that God puts. Now, here's the third part. The third part is the world is watching. The world is watching. So when you are good with your children, uh, raise your hand. This, I, want, I want to give some people like a moment to boast in the church today. Raise your hand if anybody ever complimented you on how well your children behaved when you were out at a restaurant. Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel good? Now, now we all know, I know we can raise our hand and like boast and celebrate right now. There's been a lot of times where they didn't come up and say that. <laughs> Matter of fact, more times than none. But, but it's a beautiful thing to, to see that. Why? Not because we're all that, but it's because the world is seeing. It's other people seeing Man, there's something special about the way that, that they are working together, treating each other, you know, loving each other. There's something special about that. God wants the world to see his best evangelistic uh, uh, tool is the family. Did you know that? The best way to, to show people that you are authentic and you love God and, and, and that your, your household is submitted to God's word is for your family to be unified and love one another. You can open air preach. You can be up on stage like this, but no, I can't, I can minister to you, you know, because I've learned how to communicate and I've studied scripture. I get that, but nothing will minister to you more than if you come to my house and you're with my family. Now, I, we can minister the wrong way, but by God's grace, I feel like I'm doing all right <laughs> 10 years later. That, that, like, when you come to my house, you can see, man, they're not perfect, but they're, they're really working to live by God's, by God's word, by, by God's covenant. And I want that to be the, the, a blessing to all, all of you. And I want to say this one more time, just in case you think that I'm better than, than what I really am. 
we have not done well. Like we, we are learning to, I'm a learn, learning to be a better husband. I'm learning to communicate. <laughs> like, how's your day? It was good. What happened? Went to work. What else? Went home. Did you go to lunch? Yep. What'd you eat? Food. Now I'm learning how to like, I was at work today and I had a conversation with Jim and, and we talked about these things. And let me tell you what our great initiative is. I'm so excited about it. See, listen, guys don't want to relive all the stuff that we just lived through. We're not good on doing things twice. Is that true, guys? Like, I don't even do U-turns. My, I, my car doesn't U-turn. It doesn't. Like, it, the feature didn't come with my car. I can't turn around. So if I miss my turn, we're just going to go around the beltway, baby. <laughs> we're going to ride 66 until 66 ends. I'll be in front royal. Then I'll hit set 15. Then I'll come back to 7. And I'll get to 28 eventually. <laughs> it's a shame how horrible we are. But, but that's the reality. And so I, I say all that to say we are really working hard to, 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 to love one another in, in my house and, and teach our children the way to love each other and to love mom and dad. We're really working at it. But this is not easy, and we haven't been great at it. But isn't that the beauty of life? Growing constantly. Like the, the beauty of the word disciple, discipline. Discipline is not any, it's like you don't discipline yourself one time and it's good. You're constantly disciplining yourself. Paul says, I beat my body into submission so that I don't disqualify myself from what I preach. So constantly work at loving your spouse, loving your children, children loving your parents. And then adults loving your friends and family. Just loving your church. That's what we're supposed to do. So God is a covenantal God. God loves family. Family is God's tool to show the world who God is. And, and, and um, by the way, Jesus speaks a lot about that in the latter uh, chapters of John, where he talks about when they see me and then they see you, they, they see the Father. It's a really beautiful uh, thing. Read the book of John. Okay, so conditions with the covenant. So let's get back on this, these conditions. Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 through 19. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver, gold, the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Okay, Jerry, what are you talking about? When they won that first battle, obviously if you beat a whole, if you, if you overtake an entire city, well, there's kings in there, there's leadership, there's, there's, there's gold, there's riches, there's a palace. And so when all those people are dead, it's just all money everywhere, you know, stuff everywhere. There's things, there's gold. All, who knows, like when the walls collapse, maybe things like dust just shot stuff out, right? And, and even, even cattle. Like there's just a ton of things that are just coming out of, of, of a big kingdom that collapses. Well, God says specifically the silver, the gold, the bronze, the iron. These things do not touch them at all. Now, didn't God promise them that they were going to go to the promised land, that they were going to overtake all of these different kingdoms, that they would, ne- uh, they would never be left or forsaken? He would always be with them. He promised that, right? That's what we read in the beginning. But then comes this condition. Hey, just want to remind you, follow me the way that I say to follow me. You can try to do a God thing or a good thing, but not with God's way. And so it no longer is a good thing. It's now a you thing. And we don't want to do us things. We want to do God things, right? And so they end up stealing one person, one man. We're supposed to follow God's command. And inside of that covenant were conditions. And inside of those conditions, 
some people thought that it was a game. They thought it was a joke. Or they thought that nobody would find out. Or they, because th- they hid it in their tent. Or they thought that, you know what, maybe God will be upset, but like, Look at how gracious he's been to us all these years. Like, surely our God is gracious and multi- uh, merciful. Maybe nothing's going to happen. But remember, there's a cost of breaking the covenant. There's a cost. Everything costs. Nothing is free. Oh, but Jared, we freely receive salvation. Yeah, Christ paid the biggest uh, cost for us. So then we fast forward to Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. The Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. They were unfaithful, unfaithful. We serve a faithful God who is loving, gracious, kind, and constantly bringing us into the covenant. All we have to do is be faithful and obedient. They were unfaithful in the devoted things. And Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of of Judah, like the legendary tribe of Judah, like God like, has a special place for the tribe of Judah. Someone from that tribe stole when God said, don't do it, like leave that stuff alone. And I'm taking you to the next, I'm taking you to the promised land. Don't, don't, don't forget that. It says the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Joshua, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai. Now they're on the next battle. Remember at this point, nobody knows. So they go to the next battle. God says, go up and spy. Uh, I'm sorry, Josh says, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and they spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all of the army will have to go up against Ai. Now they're talking trash. Man, let's send our uh, JV team out there. (laughs) Send send two or 3,000 men to take it and do not weary the whole army. Let's get our rest tonight while these other guys beat them down. For only a few people lived there. So about 3,000 went up, but they were rooted by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. Like, this was a shocker. Like, how do we lose? What? 36 of our guys are dead? Of the promised children of Israel? They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same. They sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this, this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Now he's questioning the entire mission. Joshua's question, why are we even out here? Now, remember, (laughs) the Israelites just won a battle without fighting. So you got to think about where they are. Like, they're thinking, this is going to be cake. Hey, guys, sleep. Like, go to the Ritz-Carlton. You know, order order the salmon. Like, relax. All the ladies, you know, manicure, pedicure, get your hair done. Like, we're just going to hang out, relax, while these few guys go out and fight this fight. And then they go out. And 36 guys die immediately. Then it says they chased them. So now these guys are running for their lives. They're like, wait a second. Didn't we just march and just shout and we beat somebody? How did this happen? So now they're questioning the call. They're questioning if God's hand is on them. They're questioning, did God set us up for failure? All of this, why? Because one man didn't keep his house clean. 
He brought something that God did not intend to be in his house. And whatever I just said, that what I just said, whatever that means to you, man, the thing that's not clean that you brought in your house, you fill in the blank because that's your life. But please know that it will keep your family from winning the battles that God has called you to win in your lifetime under your leadership. You hear what I'm saying? All right. I'm telling you, there's going to be some bass in the men's voice before we're done. All right. So we fast forward to the consecration. Isn't it good that God allows us to consecrate ourselves when we are dead wrong? Joshua 7, 13, 14. We'll revisit it. Go, consecrate the people. Tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. What's tomorrow? God's telling them they get to fight. Uh, they, they, they have a, a meeting with God. <laughs> and at that meeting, he said, okay, tribe by tribe, clan by clan, family by family, man by man. We're going to walk you through. We're going to look at which one of you guys messed us up. I can't imagine. Like, this, when I played football, we had film study the day after the game. Goodness gracious, can we wait 48 hours? <laughs> the game's like Sunday night at like 7 o'clock. You finish the game, and then Monday morning at 7 a.m., you're right there in the film study. It's like, man. And you, they watch every single play, every single player. So that means if there's typically on offense, you might do 105 plays. We watch the film, and we watch 105 clips of the game. But we watch those 105 clips five to 11 times each. This is why, like, you meet guys, and they're like, man, the game, I love the game, but I hate meetings. Why do they hate meetings? Because we're watching the same thing over and over again. Here's what they do. There's 11 guys on the field, so you have to watch each of them and how they started. So this is what coaches do. They have the big linemen, and they go like this. And they just keep rewinding, like, okay, where your stance? Where were your foot? Okay, where were your feet? Da, da, da. Okay. And then how they engage. And they say, okay, number 61, you didn't engage right in this. And you're just sitting in this meeting like, oh, oh my gosh, we won. <laughs> Why are we watching this? I remember to this day, I'm still mad at this coach. I'll, I won't say his name. But I remember I caught, a, I caught a slant. And the slant is just you run one, two, three, turn, quarterback throws the ball, then you run forward. Go as far as forward as you can and try to make sure the big guys don't hit, hit you. <laughs> As little guys talk like that. So uh, I caught the ball, and the end zone was probably where the screen is right here. And I dove for the end zone. And coaches don't like diving for some reason. I don't know. But I dove with one hand. So I'm like, ah. Uh. And I scored a touchdown. The next day, the coach's like, Jared, unacceptable. Unacceptable. And he keeps on, he's like rewinding it. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, that was a game-winning touchdown. Like, if I didn't score that touchdown, we wouldn't be in the position that we were in. He's like, Jared, can't dive. So that's what film said he's like. And that pales in comparison to being lined up by God. <laughs> like, okay, the Greens are here. The Andrews are here. The Lovelaces are here. The Pounders are here. <laughs> like, all these people are here. All right, cool. Uh, where are the men at? All right, Jared, Brett, Craig, Brennan. And then we're just... Lord, I hope I didn't grab something. I don't remember grabbing something. There are probably guys who are really scared that didn't even do anything. You ever been that way? Like, like you didn't do anything wrong, but you just feel like it. And so now you've got all these men up here representing their clans, their tribes, and their families. And they're just probably sweating bullets. And they finally get to the guy. His name is Aiken. He says, Aiken, what did you do? He confesses. When he confesses, the most horrific thing happens. And I want to make this disclaimer today. 
Yes, I'm preaching about consecrating ourselves and cleaning our house, but don't do to your family members what they did with this man. This is a different time, different context, but they took Achan out and stoned him and his family, and they destroyed them. They blotted them out of the tribe of Judah so that that sin was no longer in the house, then they could keep moving forward. Now, in this generation that we're in, the best thing to do is repent because we have Christ. He died on the cross for our sins. And you, instead of getting stoned by your family, you get the opportunity to say, God, I want to turn around, change my ways, and love you more. Isn't that a great thing? Okay, okay, we don't want to celebrate today. I don't want to get stoned, okay? So the fact that I get the opportunity to quietly get into my prayer closet and get on my knees and pray and God fixes all of that, whoo, 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 man. These weren't pebbles, y'all. These weren't pebbles. These were like, you know, when you buy like a, a fancy house somewhere like in like a gated community, they have those big smooth stones, you know, and then they got like the water. Like those are those ones. We're like, they have trucks to bring those in. They were, every, hey, you got your rock? You got your rock? Okay, all right, you ready? Like, no, no, I'll take the prayer closet over that any day. Okay, so we'll wrap this up with this. God forgives for us in our context and even for Israel. God forgave them. He could have stoned all of them. So you guys are done, but he forgives. And I wanna encourage you this, the with this, the covenant shapes culture. When you walk by the covenant, you have a different type of culture in your house. When you walk by the covenant, you have a different type of culture in your own life. You walk, you're a bearer of God's light. And so you change culture everywhere you go when you walk in the covenant. That's why at certain places you go, people are like, man, you're so different. What is that? You have a different culture that's counterculture to the culture that they're used to. And so when they see you, they're like, something's different. It's the covenant of God on you. Amen? We can shape the culture as men. As families, as women, as daughters, as sons, we can shape the culture. Stop waiting on your next bill to be passed. If it happens, it happens. Stop waiting on the teacher to be a better teacher, the coach to be a better coach. Stop waiting on your entertainer or that basketball player to stop saying whatever they say when they say it and you don't like it. Who cares? Change the culture in your life and under your roof so that your culture will change the rest of the culture of the world. Because sin perverts culture. So when our house isn't clean and we allow sin to come in our house, our house becomes perverted. And you wonder why our children have lost their way. You wonder why our marriages have been failed and broken. You wonder why guys are spending more time out with the buds than they do with their wives and why wives are, can't stand their husbands. They're trying to go on girls trips all the time. No, not on a girls trip. I love them, by the way, because I love being at home. But that's a whole other conversation. But, but there's an unhealthy, like, you could go on too many girls trips. Like, let's keep it quarterly. Maybe, maybe once, uh, you know, every six months. But it can get out of control when there's no good culture in the house because sin perverts everything, culture, family. It, can, it perverts the government. It perverts your business. It perverts the church. It perverts the church. Then the Lord says in Joshua 8, 1, he says, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai. 
all they had to do was follow the conditions and to be consecrated according to the covenant of God, and they would, they would win the battle. Have you ever been, uh, a, have you ever played a sport where someone told you you already win, so just kind of go out there and break a sweat? <laughs> like, what? That, that never happens. He, the Lord tells him before the battle, I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Well, okay. <laughs> I bet they were out there dancing. Like, hey, you can't get me. <laughs> like, I don't know what I do. I, I'm a trash talker by, by nature. God wired me. He gave me that spiritual gift of trash talking. And so I would be rubbing it in like crazy. He said in verse 7, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off, and they went to a place to ambush and lay in between Bethel and Ai. They just started wreaking havoc. Uh, the Lord said to them, this is verse uh, 18. He says, hold out toward Ai the javelin that is in your hand. For into your hand I will deliver the city. Men, we need men to stand up and hold the javelin for the kingdom in America, in their household, in their city, in their community. So Joshua held out toward the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly, and, and they went to their position. They rushed forward. They entered the city. They captured it. They set it on fire. Everybody died. The right word is smote. They smote them. They murked them. They dogged them. I don't even know whatever word. They just annihilated them. It was over, baby. And that's what the blessing of, like, loving God authentically and sacrificing yourself, disciplining yourself to follow his statutes, his principles, and to really live a life for God. So I want to do this. I want to give a moment of repentance with your head bowed, eyes closed, and, and only do that if you feel the need. Because I only say that because of this weird culture that we live in. We're like, oh, I don't want anybody to see it. Listen, this is between you and God. And they didn't have the, uh, the, the right or the option to bow their heads or close their eyes when that stone was coming out when God said, hey, who did it? <laughs> so we live in a culture where everybody is nervous about who sees them. I don't care who sees me today. I'm repenting for not leading my house the way that I should. And I, if you say, oh, man, see, Jared's repenting. Oh, oh, you're looking at me? Okay, well, figure your own life out. But listen, two things I want today, that the men would stand up, not physically, but stand up in your heart and say, enough is enough. I'm taking ownership of my household and of the culture that I give everywhere that I go. I repent. Repent means to turn away. You might be turning away from an addiction, uh, from a sin, not an addiction as far as uh, drugs and alcohol. Those are, those are important things. But I mean sinful pleasures that you have desired and you have sought out. You might be turning from that or you might be turning from passivity, just being, uh, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Al Bundy. <laughs> just like sitting there. You know, I, I, I got a wide range of shows. So just sitting there and letting life happen. Homer Simpson, you name it. Don't be these dads that America has tried to teach us to be. Be a man of God. Be a man of integrity. Be a man of covenant and a man of confidence in God. Secondly, everybody turn and say, God, I want you to clean my house, clean my temple, clean my mind, clean my actions, my thoughts, my deeds. Can we all do that together? Okay, I'm gonna pray over you, but you pray whatever prayer to, to God that you need to pray, but we all need to get cleaned, amen? All right, Father God, thank you so much. I know we're way over time, but this is very important. Lord, help us 
to turn, to consecrate, to change our ways, to do away with the things that have caused sin to get into our house, to take away from the beauty of the covenant that you put together in our household so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. So our husbands love our wives, our wives love our husbands, children do the, do the same. Lord, the world is waiting to see the sons and daughters of God live real and live right. And Lord, we repent. We turn away. We ask you, please forgive us, Lord, for not living the way that you said. Lord, we are no better. We are no better than Achan. We are just like him. We have brought things that were not supposed to be in our house into our house, and we repent. Help us to change for your good and for your purpose, because not only are we supposed to do this, there's battles we're supposed to fight, and those battles will be easily won if our house is clean. We ask all these things in your mighty name. Amen.